Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're talking to Miroslav, who is the partner at the Financial Services Capital, which is the new generation private equity firm. That's their tagline. Are we going to find out what it means and how is private equity suited for fintech or financial services deals? Or is that more about growth capital or late stage capital? And uh, let's hear from them how they think about the deals so that the founders who come to talk to them about deals are better equipped or better prepared for those discussions when it's related to either fundraising or M&A later down the line. Hi, Miroslav. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, cool. So can you tell us a bit about yourself? How did you get to do what you do today? Sure, absolutely. My name is uh, Miroslav. I am originally Czech. I was born and bred here. I spent 15 years in the States, actually escaping from Czechoslovakia. And uh, my career has spanned three separate but intertwined type of fields. So I was a techie. I still consider myself a techie somewhat, although have not been programming much. So I was a computer engineer. I started my career with IBM and worked for Young and Rubicom as well in the networking and in the networking part of the business. So support for an advertising agency. Then I went, got myself a business degree, and that enabled me to get a job with McKinsey. So I started in their business technology office. And ultimately that led, so if you think about a techie, then a business career that led to a business career in banking. I became a chief operating officer of the largest bank and largest private sector bank in Russia, Alpha Bank. And I also was the first deputy chairman of BNP Paribas, Ukrainian subsidiary. So that was a banking career. And then the third and the most recent piece was investing. Uh, and that has been taking me from venture capital and angel investing all the way through to LBOs. And late, latest gig before starting financial services capital was I launched home credits venture capital, corporate venture capital arm. Oh, great. So pretty illustrious uh, career. And you probably touched on everything that anybody in finance wants to do. Now you started with your partners, financial services capital firm, and you stay on your you stayed on your website that this is, as I said before, that this is a new generation private equity firm. So what does that mean? Because there have been a few attempts of private equity firms into going into of going into financial services or doing something with fintech with sometimes mixed results so what is it that you want to do and why are you different so we talk about us being the version 3.0 of private equity and when we say that what we mean is a version 1.0 was early private equity where you would do financial engineering on an asset. And that was true, especially in the mid-market, which was inefficient. Now, that has worked well, and some firms are doing that to this day, although it's the opportunities are much less frequent. Version 2.0, which was my 
co-founder, uh, Matt Hansen would say, was one of his employers. He actually worked for Medicine Dearborn, which would, would have been version 1.0, Cerberus, which, were, which was much more operationally involved. So that was 2.0, it's getting much more hands-on and operationally involved. And where the 3.0 comes in is, obviously, we still do the first two, but we add facility with technology. Our focus at Financial Services Capital is investing in European financial institution, whether it be consumer finance companies, payments businesses, banks, or insurance companies, but actually applying technology through what we call an enabling technologies toolkit portfolio. So we have a smaller portfolio that's more like a venture capital where we don't actually hold controlling stakes of firms that allow us to make the main portfolio, the flagship portfolio companies much more efficient and much better run through the use of technology. Right. And you mentioned one of your partners. So let's talk about them as well. How did you get together and why have you decided that the world needs the private equity 3.0? Matt and I have known each other from around the global financial crisis times where I was still a chief operating officer at Alpha. He was then working for Cerberus and he was actually working on an Austrian bank, Bauag which he took from, or he with a team, obviously, took from being a sleepy, underperforming uh, bank owned by unions, trade unions, to being one of the best performers in terms of cost, cost to income ratio or any other metric in the European space. So we've known each other for this time. The way we got to start financial services capital, we had a conversation in probably late 2018, and Matt told me his idea, basically 30 seconds into him telling me <laughs> what he was trying to do, I was bought in because I had the same belief. I believe that financial services in Europe need a fundamental change, that technology is one of the key aspects of fixing them. And my background was uniquely applicable to this, being a techie and being a banker and being an investor. It was an opportunity made in heaven. All right. And can you tell us some success stories from your from your investments before you started the firm? Anything exciting and unusual rather than saying, I, I bought a few shares of Facebook just like everybody else? So I think the most salient one which spans both home credit venture capital and now financial services capital is the investment in Nimbus. So Nimbus is a core banking system provider, a new core banking system provider in the United States. That space, both in the US and in Europe, is relatively oligopolistic. So you have four large providers where the newest technology at the core is from the 90s and the early 90s at that. Anything above that or anything other than the 1993 technology was 70s and 80s technology. And it's it's been a relatively difficult space to enter because it's very difficult to build a core banking system, a new core banking system. And it's very difficult, even more difficult to get the first customer. Nimbus cracked that and they're now in 27 different banks in the United States. They have a modern system that is better than anything that's out there in the market, certainly in the United States and I would say globally. And we're now at a point where the last investment round 50 plus million investment round from Inside Ventures has proved that this has been 
a good investment. It is, we're still early in the investment cycle, but I believe that this is going to, going to be a double digit unicorn that is going to definitely improve the space, both in for the traditional financial institutions and also for the fintechs. I see. All right. So let's talk about the fintechs that you are, you know, looking at as potential investments. So where do they need to be in terms of life cycle, geography, or the vertical or the distribution approach, whether that's B2C or B2B? Because obviously the fintech has been in the media for the last few years. And and I think people understand it, that this is much wider than just payments or P2P lending. But the B2B fintech uh, has always been a little bit under the radar. And then there is maybe a double issue in Europe versus versus America. It's quite fragmented market. So if you say it's difficult to build a core banking platform in America and sell it to a few people, at least you have a homogeneous market. But if you do it for an Italian bank, try to make sure that it's still a product and not a consulting project and then sell it to a French bank that may be a bit, a bit challenging. What kind of startups or what kind of fintechs are you looking at? And maybe if it's also later stage, because you say you're not, necessarily entirely a VC firm, but a PE firm, where, where are you, how far in uh, late stage are you looking at as well? I mentioned that we have the flagship portfolio, which invests in traditional uh, financial institutions. That's the flagship. But the enabling technologies uh, portfolio, we don't call them fintechs, but these would be, by definition, B2B fintechs. So these would be firms that actually help traditional financial institution make themselves better. They're the um, picks and shovels, if you will, of the business. They're the things that will, if applied properly, accelerate the transformation of a typical European financial institution. So the flagship fund focuses on European financial institutions, while the enabling technologies toolkit fund, so to speak, focuses on the best technologies globally that can be applied to those financial institutions in the flagship fund. So these are generally uh, series A or B investment rounds. They are minority but meaningful stakes where we like to take a board seat. And that's uh, two, the, the reason is twofold. We want to be active in the business because we believe we can help that business develop. We can also help bring customers. Some of our portfolio companies are natural customers. But also, we like to use the perch of a board seat to really stay on top of what's really possible. There's a lot of noise in terms of marketing, but being on a board of a provider, you actually see the reality and you can help create value on both sides of the equation. I see. Understood. So... Obviously, you're raising money. So where are you on your fundraising journey and what's your target size broadly? In in other words, that also gives people a little bit of a clue on what kind of targets are you looking at in terms of verticals. You explained it or stage, but also how big are they? So on the enabling technology side, there wasn't actually a fundraising effort that happened almost organically. Whereas on the financial institution, we've just started at the end of last year, and we're now in the discussions with, with many, many potential LPs. But we're already starting to deploy cash there as well. We are now in the process and we're ready to invest, certainly in the fintechs and on the B2B side. All right. So on the enabling technologies fund, how was the deal sourcing? How did that work? What's your philosophy there? Some 
people say, we have such a network, we have so much inbound, we don't know what to do with it. The other people are saying, we do the mixture, we also do proactive research because there are new ideas popping up everywhere. So where are you on this uh, continuum? So for us, it's a combination of the two. It's we actually, the deals we had done so far on the enabling technology side were deals that were somehow in my ecosystem and or in our ecosystem, but mostly in my ecosystem. Nimbus was a company I invested in. Baryon, which is a digital payment gateway based in Hungary, but one that is has a very interesting business model. We don't have time to discuss it much here, but it's it was able to get 50% of the e-shops in the country within about three years. So it's unprecedented adoption rate, and it's something we're proud of. But we are also looking at things that come over the transom, things that are introduced by friends. So there's always, I think it would be hubris of us to say, we don't look at things outside because you never know when the best ideas come from. So we look at a lot of different opportunities and sometimes the most interesting one, the most interesting opportunities come from places that you never expected. Yeah, I, I read somewhere an article in the last couple of days saying that some people say in the US uh, there is so much funding and it has increased. So maybe obviously with the exception of pandemics, etc. But in over the decade, last few decades, there's so much funding for early stage companies. But the author there made a distinction that that maybe is the case for the in-network founders. If you're out-of-network founder, then you might still have a you know tough time raising money if people don't know about you. So good to hear that you're willing to give a chance to people who have a good idea, but unfortunately, they are not necessarily in the network at the moment. And so what are your se- selection criteria? Maybe if you look at the early stage and also your flagship fund, if you see a deal, what do you like to see? And maybe... Let's also give people some advice. What do you think is something that shouldn't be there or it's missing, whether that's in the deck or in the deal itself? Again, early stage or late stage, either way. The investment criteria for a typical financial institution deal are very different from an enabling technology deal. They generally have to do with the business, the financials. They have to do with how we feel we can add value to, to the particular asset. Whereas in the enabling technology side, it's first and foremost about the people. It is about the idea, but it is about the people because you are in a minority position. You are taking a bet on the management team and on the founder, and you are looking at how you can add value, but you are going to be less in the driver's seat and you're not going to be stepping in and managing that business. Whereas in the PE side of the business, that's one of the value added. We have now about 23 people on board. It may be actually more by now, but I think maybe 25 now. But we have five partners and a number of operating partners that can all step into a financial institution. So we have people that were CEOs and COOs of consumer finance businesses. We have people that have been CEOs of leasing businesses payment businesses and insurance companies. We have a basically a network of people that can step in. That's on the private equity side, that's to be expected. We are in the driver's seat, we are controlling. In the in, in, On the venture side or on the enabling technology side, we're much more likely to learn from the founders where they're to get their innovation, to get their 
entrepreneurial drive. And that's the key piece. So having a good idea is important and it has to work. Now, I mentioned we are investing in series A and B. So these are somewhat proven businesses. They already have paying customers. They have side at least of profit and they have more or less stable or at least partially formed management teams. We are I've invested in seed businesses and, and there again, the criteria would be different. But the idea is for us, how do we use those enabling technology companies to increase value? So for us, sometimes it's not, we're not a generalist VC in this case. We are somebody that looks at it through the lens of how does this add value? So there may be a good fintech business, but it doesn't, if it doesn't help our future plans or better yet, our current situation with our portfolio companies, we don't necessarily, we, we won't necessarily invest. May, or maybe we will say something that's interesting, we want to stay in touch, but right now it's too early, which is very different than somebody that just says we invest in fintech. Understood. That makes sense. So let's step back a little bit and, and look at all these things from a big picture view. So uh, whether you look at the early stage growth or late stage, and what's the what is the market in terms of LPs and the funding av availability? I looked at the VC funding for Europe, America, Asia recently, you know, produced by Dearum, who are also supporting this podcast through research. But it looked, luckily, that Europe has, has improved a lot in terms of absolute numbers. I think that is very important in Europe. But, but still, this is not like in America, right, where you, you walk into a meeting with a deck and you walk out with 10 million in Europe, I think that people are still quite uh, risk averse. So I would expect that would on the late stage, late stage ideas, the LPs are more used to this, and it's probably a bit easier. And it's obviously a lot bigger. So what's your view on situation on that front or sentiment in Europe versus the rest of the world? So I think if you, I don't think it's as easy as walking into a meeting and walking out with 10 million. I think those are... It's simplified it, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it happens, but it never, ever happened in Switzerland, I tell you that. It, I, I do think that there is a slightly different perception of the Valley-type venture capitalists versus London-based or continental Europe-based. I do think that as Europeans, we're more conservative. I think that also you see a lot more, you, you, you see a different skew in the backgrounds of VCs. So I think in you know London, a lot of London VCs are former investment bankers, whereas many VCs in Silicon Valley are former entrepreneurs. Of course, that's gross generalization and there's there's bit on, on each side, you have people with different backgrounds, but I do think that there is a general trend. So hence, you see a bit more focus on the numbers versus focus on the big idea and how do we change the world. And I think it, it does permeate the entire process, including the valuations that you get potentially in, in Europe. Although I think you see that changing. And I actually think that fintech is changing that, that perception because, so first of all, you see valuations in of fintech companies and neobanks, and they're through the roof in Europe as well, the Klarna's of the, the, the world or the Revoluts of the world. So there are significant, very high valuations that you didn't see historically necessarily in, in Europe. I do think that Europe has a, I wouldn't say leg up over the US in, in the fintech space, but there's certainly, I see that we are on par with the US in terms of the potential for changing. We're actually not we, we think that the the b2c fintechs are, are quite useful 
in terms of setting customer expectations and changing their expectations and making sure that you have the, maybe not the latest technology, but decent technology available to them. But ultimately, it's going to take changing the existing institutions. This is the thing that's going to create the most value because spending hundreds, if not thousands of euros attracting new customers to a new neobank or startup is not going to change. It, it may change the customer base on the margin, but it's not going to move the 80, 90% of the conservative customers. But it's what, what is going to make the changes actually addressing existing institution institutions and helping them change. And so while, I, while we see B2C fintechs is very useful, I think that the heavy lifting is not creating green fields, but it's really doing the heavy lifting and fixing existing financial institutions, which is slightly different than, and this is not something that typical VCs would invest in. All right. So that's obviously very interesting and encouraging if you are a B2B fintech or even B2C and if you're based in Europe, but maybe you also want to read up on certain things. So I always ask uh, the guests uh, for some tips for a business book or research report or study or documentary that would be useful to the founders when they talk to them something that they liked. It doesn't have to be the, the flavor of the month, but something that they could recommend. So what can you recommend? I think this is going to be a contrarian thing, but I, I, I actually am a big subscriber to the value of the Benjamin Graham value investing crowd. And I think it's actually useful, even if you are in the market for venture money, it's useful to go back and, and look at some of those basic fundamental principles because you can be you can get lucky and get a high valuation not creating ultimate value but i think that the more sustainable sustained value creating approach is the one that is going to give you a little bit of an insurance so to speak because if you create value for the end customer if you create you can come in and sooner or later you will be valued you will be valued first by the customer and then ultimately by the venture capitalist so this is contrarian. This is it's completely opposite of what typical VC does. But I do think that knowing Benjamin Graham and his teachings, and obviously his most uh, famous disciple is, is, is Warren Buffett, but that whole space is definitely interesting. That's what the strategy professor would say as well. Like you need to create the value, then you can worry about capturing it. Otherwise, there's nothing to capture. Exactly. So don't, and, and you, I, you need to, as an entrepreneur, believe in what you're doing. I don't, you know, I haven't seen too many people being successful doing something because they want to get rich off of it. I've seen people, because you are going to get through very hard times starting a startup, whatever anybody tells you. I actually believe that in order to create a billion dollar startup, you always have to go through hard times. It's just whether it's the biblical narrow door or any other way, you have to get through this difficult period. And so you have to believe in what you're doing. And it's it shouldn't be about, okay, I'm going to create a, a startup and then I'm going to get funded and get this crazy valuation and then I'm going to cash out. I don't think that's the way it works. You really have to, your passion and your belief has to be in it, in, in whatever you're doing. Ultimately, the financial rewards, if you are persistent, if you do the right thing, will come. 
but you have to love what you're doing and you have to believe in what you're doing. Great final thoughts. Maybe one last question I wanted to ask you, Miroslav, is, well, where can interested parties reach you, whether that's LPs or entrepreneurs looking to, uh, for funding or trying to sell their businesses to a PE firm like yours? How can, they, how can people find out more about financial services capital and what's the best way to reach you? I think the best way I would point, and maybe again, it's, it's, a, it's a bit anachronistic, but I would people point people to our website, which is www.financialservicescapital.com. There is both a way to contact us and, and, and leave us some thoughts. And it also has a lot more about our investment thesis and, and the team. Great. Thank you very much, Miroslav, and good luck to Financial Services Capital. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking to you, and, and, and thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.